You're listening to the Embrace Family Recovery Podcast, a place for real conversations with people who love someone with the disease of addiction. Now here is your host, Margaret Swift Thompson. Welcome back. Today we return with Michelle, who, if you remember last week, had hit a bottom of anger with her estranged father, getting sober, for which she was really happy. And he'd built a family, a new family that looked very much like hers, which hurt her deeply. Let's get back to Michelle and see where her recovery journey takes her. The Embrace Family Recovery Podcast. Well, it gave me my next travel of work, basically, back into Al-Anon. And let me tell you, (laughs) I found a sponsor. I am so grateful for sponsors. They They carry the message, but not the person. Because, you know, even if you are not the actively user of external substance, the disease is physical, emotional, and spiritual. You know, um, you you've got to you've got to own your side of the street. Um, yeah, so I got into Alnog for the second time, got a sponsor, and was absolutely blown away when I went through the twelve steps, especially the fourth step, where my first amends was to God for playing God. Oh, I discovered that I could do a really good job at playing God, and I was gifted with the knowledge that there was no need for me to play God. <laughs> when, when you look at that transformative step and really identifying that, what do you think it was that gave you the willingness to surrender the job you had been so good at? Well, full confession here, I was terrified of the fourth step. I think if, if anything was keeping me in my dysfunction, it was the thought of having to do the fourth step and make amends to very scary people. I did not realize you could do a living amends, you could do a letter, you could do all sorts of different things. The fourth step is taking a personal inventory, a thorough inventory of your entire life. And I, I'm with you, Michelle. I had the biggest block to that step out of all the steps I had to work. My sponsor had me do an assets list as well as a defects list. And that was really the tool that helped me start to see the real me, not the problem being me. I also learned a great tool, and that was to keep my hands off and my heart on. You know, Alanonics are amazing at fixing impossible situations. They're a godsend in the crisis. They are the executioners of drama and the whole bit, and they're doing nobody no favors. And I happen to have been an excellent um, person in that role. Uh, I do not willingly go near any of that stuff now because it, it did not benefit anybody. And it gave a lot of fuel to that inner critic, the inner voice, the itty bitty shitty committee, um, <laughs> gave me gave them a lot of fodder 
And I had to learn to humble myself and just be the secretary. Let me take the minutes. What's here that I need to deal with? You know, put on the action list. What can I say? These are thoughts and feelings that are visitors. Thank you for saying your piece. Please move on. Thank you. Doors that way. I really love that. And I want to tease that out a little bit because I haven't heard it said in that way. That I became the secretary. Expand on that a little for people who may not have heard it either. Like, how did that work for you? To get out of the God role, to be the secretary. Talk about that a little bit. Um, I think one of the things that have served me, well, some of the things that have served me well is I've always been a person of prayer, knowingly and unknowingly, because let's face it, when you're in a household where the people who protect you um, are beating each other up, you learn to pray even if you don't know you're praying. I also have been a person who's done yoga, um, meditation, uh, and contemplation. So in essence, I'm using the word uh, as the secretary to the Itty Bitty Committee. But in essence, what I'm doing is bearing self-witness. I'm listening to the stories that are running around in my head and I'm deleting them or destorying them. But I'm also listening for those pearls of wisdom because there are times like when I've been in unhealthy relationships, those voices have have warnings to deliver that I may not want be wanting to hear. <laughs> so by playing the secretary, I take the notes. I just like if you were a secretary for a board or a charity, you write down, you know, who said what and what are the action items. Uh, and then you table them, but not everything gets tabled. And one of the greatest gifts that have come to me uh, actually during this pandemic it has been that thoughts and feelings of visitors, their energy, they come in and if I don't let them hook on me, they'll flow through, take what I want and leave the rest, as they say in the programs. And my language would be your spidey sense. When your gut check goes off and that's a warning, take a look, have a look. The hard part, I think, for a lot of us in recovery is deciphering between the itty bitty committee and the higher power messaging. Is that where sponsorship became so valuable? Having someone to talk it out with. So you had an external source to help you navigate those. Great point, Maggie. Absolutely. Sponsors carry the message, not the person. It's very easy for people who are not strong in their recovery to get engaged in other people's lives. Whereas opposed to being, just the listening conversation participant, not the give advice side. So sponsorship can be hugely helpful, but also being a sponsor as early as you can in the program means if you've done the first step, then please sponsor people for the first step. Get them started because, you, uh, you know, you can't keep it until you give it, I think is how the saying goes. Right. What I really value about a sponsor, and I've been very blessed to have some sponsors who have, you know, three-plus decades of experience, um, is that they've been there and got the sweatshirt and there's nothing I can think, say, do, or plot that they haven't probably considered. <laughs> right. Um, so they're not going to sit in judgment. You know, uh, they're not going to tell me I'm crazy because they've had their own dose of crazy. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Can you relate to what you're hearing? Never miss a show by hitting the subscribe button. Now back to the show. 
So you travel along into this next relationship, which ends up getting you another seat in Al-Anon, but in a different context. You were more prepared and got a sponsor, more surrendered, whichever language you would use. Where does the story go from there, Michelle? Well, I always try to share about another 12-step program, and particularly because my story is not the usual story. I had the opportunity through Al-Anon to go to a um, a, a very well-known facility where, uh, as the person who encouraged me to go said, that week worth of therapy will be worth 10 years of recovery. <laughs> I had no idea what she meant, but boy, she was on the money. <laughs> I had to fill out reams and reams of my story and I had to dig deep I had to find photos which is not easy because I I was the um discarded child so (laughs) just even having some family photos was difficult but at that one I got blindsided or shall I say they uncovered the blind spot that I needed another 12-step program and that was Overeaters Anonymous And the reason why I like to share my story is because I am obese and I've been struggling with obesity for over 20 years now. I don't eat enough to weigh what I do. My lifestyle does not support me being obese. Um, I clean living, you know, sober lifestyle, the whole bit, you know, emotionally sober. Um, And I'm still obese. And when I went to this um, retreat, and they said to me, you need Overneaters Anonymous. I'm like, you've got to be kidding. Just because I'm obese doesn't mean, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. And I have the food diaries, you know, I'm I'm not. And they said, no, you're under eating. That is evidence of the dis-ease. Right. And I was like, what? It's so counterintuitive. And I still struggle to this day. So I have... Um, I went to to Overeaters Anonymous and in the first year, just going to meetings, I lost 20 pounds. So just finding myself a place once or twice a week for an hour and calming my system down, I lost weight. I didn't change one thing, not my diet, not my work life, not my family life, nothing. So OA for me was another one of those unexpected you know, places. Uh, And I went again to this retreat to deal with, you know, an active alcoholic. Um, And, you know, I'm grateful for the struggle because if I hadn't had that alcoholic relationship, I would not have realized that eating is a necessity and eating wisely is an art. So for me, it wasn't that I was overeating, I was undereating. And I did not realize it, even though I had worked with nutritionists and they pointed it out to me. In my head, somehow I was gaining weight because I must have been eating in my sleep or something. But you know what? It wasn't what I was eating, it was what was eating me. So I needed to again um, get on get on plan in terms of not getting hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. You know the acronym for HALT, uh, and I found that hugely helpful because that cleared the way for me to get my eating in in better order. It's still a bit of a struggle because if I get working on a project, I dissociate, forget to eat, and then I'm back in the dis-ease of the disease. But 
you know, again, even in that program, people would hear my story and go, yeah, right. And I'm like, that's okay. You're clearly not really um, in a place that you can hear. But, um, you know, another saying in that program is hope is a risk that must be run. So I take the risk of sharing my my stories so that people know um, you may look like a couch potato, but you probably aren't. <laughs> so I have a question along those lines, Michelle, because I think what you bring up is a very, very valid point. I've, I've been in the rooms of OA for decades, and I think that there are people there who struggle to come in because they are anorexic. I don't belong here, or bulimic, I don't belong here, or compulsive overeater who's struggling to believe they belong there. One of the things that is very prevalent in this family disease of addiction is cross-addiction. So I'm curious if you feel the relationship with food, the disease of that, whichever way that was for you through your lifetime, came before, during, after, along with, did you see it get worse when it came to Al-Anon insanity? Mm, intriguing. Um, well, for me, my mother was a product of the 50s and 60s where being physically beautiful was really important. Um, my my ancestral heritage is Welsh and Welsh and Yorkshire, so my family, part of my family is as white as they are. <laughs> So I did not get my mother's lovely bone structure and all those sorts of things. Um, I'm just curvy, you know, just plain curvy. Uh, but my mother was always on, well, no, I can't say that. Um, she was very mindful of her figure. She'd have a cup of coffee rather than lunch or something like that. I don't know if there were issues there or not, um, but she was a product of men seeing better than they think. And in my lifetime, that has not been my issue. I've been proposed to 13 times. So for anyone who's listening, who's a curvy girl, it ain't about your weight. If he likes curvy girls, he'll like you. Now, when my father, so I had a mother who was very, uh, and a product of, I would say, of her, of of that time. Mm-hmm. But my when my father left, when I, we were eight, Literally, we had no food. Our church was delivering us um, bags of groceries. You know, the insanity continued. He punished her, but we all got caught, copped by him. So I can remember, uh, to this day, uh, a trigger for me is to not have any food in the house. I need to make sure that there are a couple of cans of tuna, some pineapple. You know, there needs to be something in the freezer or the cupboards. Not a lot, but... Uh, that doesn't mean I'll eat because my issue is the dis-ease. So I dissociate by the doing, which is very harmful. And then I'll, I have to be careful. Fridays and Sundays will be a feast day for me. And that just puts your body under a lot more pressure when you overeat on a Friday and a Sunday and you undereat the other five days. So you're in feast and famine constantly. But again, if I hadn't have had the, Al-Anon time to clean up my side of the street to to realize that that I couldn't fix anyone out anyone else. The serenity prayer says, you know, um, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I can't change. I literally 360 with my finger around me 
and then the courage to change the things I can. I am pointing at myself, tapping myself, like you change you, clean up your act, your side of the street. So that was Alanon. OA reminded me about self-care. Um, I had the opportunity, believe it or not, because I'm curvy and it's the 70s. As a teenager, I was invited to be a fuller, thicker model. My mother was horrified. Like that was seriously embarrassing. And the, sh the toxic shame just poured down over me. But being a teenager, I was like, why not? Watch me. Well, is that just a teenager, Michelle, or is that some of your makeup? You appear to be a person who has been up for the challenge when it's been placed in front of you. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I've got the heritage of fire people. I was born in a city that has got over a dozen volcanoes. I now live on an island of a dormant volcano. I come from fire people from Wales. My father and my, and my maternal grandfather absolutely adored me. So although my, mo my mother and I had issues um, and directed a lot at me, I had the, these these power players for some of my my early life that just thought I was I was the cat's meow. So that did give me um, an inner edge of, of confidence. Um, I was loved and adored. Like a sponsor told me, when we are green, we are growing. And ripe, we are rotting. One of the things I love about doing this podcast is learning from others. I want to be green. How about you? Join us next week when Michelle dives into her next chapter, her healing as an adult child of an alcoholic. She also gives us great tangible tools to take forward in our recovery journey. If you know anyone who loves someone with the disease of addiction and you value this podcast, please share it with them. Let them know about the resources and the ability to hear others' stories that they may connect with and gain help from. I want to thank my guest for their courage and vulnerability in sharing parts of their story. Please find resources on my website, embracefamilyrecovery.com. This is Margaret Swift Thompson. Until next time, please take care of you.